So today we are continuing our series called Praying with Paul. And the heart of this series is that we would understand uh, Paul's heart for the church in Ephesus, but also that we would understand God's heart for us, the ways that he desires for us to grow right here today at Riverview. And if you weren't with us last week, we kicked off this series by looking at Paul's first prayer to the church in Ephesus. We talked about how Ephesus was this incredibly big city. Uh, so um, the population, it was one of the, the top five biggest cities in the world at this point. It housed one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And Paul, his prayer that we looked at last week was really calling these people not to get so caught up and focused on the glitz and glamour, the power, the prestige of their city, But he prayed that the eyes of their heart would be enlightened, that they would be able to see the true riches that we have for all eternity in Christ. And he also wanted the eyes of their heart to be opened to understand the incomparably great power that we have in Jesus. And so the focus of Paul's prayer, what we saw last week, was really on their hearts, that the eyes of their heart would be able to see. This week, He's also focusing on their heart, but in a different way. He is going to pray that their hearts would be strengthened to be able to grasp the awesome love of God that transcends understanding, that they would be able to comprehend the width, the height, the length, the depth of the awesome love of God. And so that's what we're jumping into because Paul knew that love in such a personal way, probably more than many of us have experienced because as we talked about last week, Paul, uh, Paul was a man who was a passionate persecutor of the church of Christ. And so, you know, we, we see in the Gospels, that he, or in the book of Acts, that he was there actually overseeing the death of this passionate follower of Jesus. We see also in Acts that he's going into people's homes and he's ripping them out of their house, both men and women, and throwing them into prison solely because of their faith in Jesus. It was like Paul was obsessed was squashing this church, these group of believers, before they could ever take off the ground. And so he wanted them gone, and he wanted to make sure that no one else believed in Jesus until he met him personally. Because when he met him personally, he was transformed. He was changed in a moment, and he wants that for the the people in Ephesus, and he also uh, desires that for us, because that is God's heart. And so that's really what we're going to be jumping into today. We're actually going to be looking at one of the most beloved passages in all Scripture concerning the love of God. And so I'm excited to do it because of that reason, but also because I truly believe in the depths of my heart that if we could just more grasp this incredible love of God, it would change us. It would transform us more into who God has called us to be. And so that's where we're going to go. We're going to look at Paul's second prayer to the church in Ephesus. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to go to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 14. So Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul is praying this. He says, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So let's just stop there for a minute. He starts off 
for this reason. So what reason is that? Well, you need to have a little context. What he's really talking about is what he had written in chapters 2 and 3. So in chapter 2, he talks about how apart from Christ, we were all completely dead in our sins without any hope. And if you have not surrendered yet to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you also are dead in your sins. But God, in his incredible love, chose to make us alive in Christ as we received him as our Lord and Savior and received this grace that was totally undeserved, that we could never be worthy of. And again, Paul knew this grace in such a unique way. And so when he says, for this reason, he's thinking about the incredible fact that we have this awesome and holy and perfect God who still chose to pour out his love on us, people that could not be worthy of it. So that's in the back of his mind. Also, in Ephesians 2, he talks about how God not only poured out the riches of his grace on his people, his chosen people, the Jewish people, but that in God's wisdom, he opened the door that all people in all nations could come and be one family before the Lord through their faith in Jesus. And so when he writes, for this reason, he's thinking, I can't believe how awesome it is that God would save someone like me, not worthy of it. And not only is God doing that, but he's inviting everyone into it. So he says, for this reason. And then he goes on, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So first of all, let's take notice of the posture of prayer. He is on his knees before the Lord. And what's interesting is that the the normal practice of prayer at this time was to be standing. It was less common to be kneeling, but if someone was choosing to kneel, what that meant was this like great sense of humility, this great sense of dependence before the Lord. And so if you have never got on your knees in prayer before the Lord, I want to challenge you to do that this week. So for me, this is not actually a normal practice, but it is something I've done, and it's something that I've actually been trying to work into my life the last few months, because this is important to understand. Our physical posture can impact the posture of our hearts towards God. So let me explain. When I choose to get down on my knees, when I choose to get down on my knees and even bow my head like before the Lord in prayer, just by myself in my bedroom or whatever, it feels, it feels slightly awkward. This is not a, a position I'm used to like being in. I don't bow before anyone or anything usually. Um, I feel very vulnerable when I'm on my knees and even especially when my head is bowed before the Lord. I just feel very, I feel very weak, right? And I think that's the point of this posture is that we recognize that we are so weak, so small before the Lord who created everything. That in prayer, we are talking to this God who is holy, perfect, awesome, far above everyone and everything. And when we get into this posture, we just recognize that we are so small, absolutely nothing compared to how great and awesome our God is. And when I'm in this like physical you know, expression of my body, I also feel like it's just really stating my dependence to you that the one I'm talking to is the only one that can actually answer the prayer that I am asking. And on top of that, like when I'm down like this um, and I'm praying, I also feel like if he doesn't choose to do exactly what I want, it's okay because he is like the Lord over everything and I am not. And so I want to encourage you 
to practice that within your life. We don't have to pray like that all the time, but it's really good for us to do that. When I'm in that posture, it reminds me of these, these medieval movies, you know, where uh, there's this grand throne room and someone is brought in. There's this long, you know, carpet leading up to the throne and they're brought before the king on the throne and they just fall on their face, on their knees before him, not really worthy to be in his presence. And I think that's so good for us to recognize and have honor and revere the Lord for who he is. Because the truth is, Sometimes when I'm praying, it's just like a very casual thing. I just start talking, but I kind of miss the magnitude of who he is. And, you know, in Hebrews, it talks about how we should approach the throne of grace with, with confidence, right? We should be confident, knowing that this holy God absolutely loves us, but we shouldn't be careless with how we do it, you know? We should be confident that, yes, he loves me, but I'm also going to recognize that he is so far greater than I am. And so that is where Paul is. He's on his knees. It's very much what the psalmist writes in Psalm 95. We'll put it on the screen. You don't have to turn there. But it just says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. If you've never bowed down before your maker, I encourage every single one of you to do that this week. It will impact the way that you pray. So back to Ephesians. He was bowing before the Lord and he says, the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What he's getting at there is authority. So if you name something, you are stating your authority over that thing. And so if you think about Adam in the book of Genesis, he was naming all the animals, showing his authority over them. Many of you are parents in this room. You have named your children. That is a statement, a statement of recognition that this is my son or daughter. I am over them. I am the authority. They belong to me. That is what he is doing. That's what Paul is doing. He's coming before God saying, you're over all of us. You created us. This whole earth is before you. And he's starting there really with like a worshipful God. You are sovereign before he even asks anything. So he has a worshipful posture. He has words of worship. And then what does he actually ask? Verse 16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So there is so much in there. In, the, in Greek, that's actually just an incredibly long, run-on sentence. And so we need to take some time to break this down. So first of all, he's talking about being strengthened with power in the inner being, so that Christ would dwell in their hearts. So the goal is he wants Christ to dwell in their hearts, and the way that that is going to happen is as they are strengthened in their inner being. So to understand this, let's first start with his goal. He wants Christ to dwell in their hearts. Now, the first thing that we have to understand, it's important to clarify that he's not asking that God would give them the Holy Spirit. He's not asking that God would give them the Spirit of Christ. Because as we talked about last week, in Ephesians 1, he talked about how they have the Holy Spirit within them because they have trusted the gospel of their salvation. So what does he mean when he says, you know, he's praying that Christ would dwell in them? Well, the specific word that Paul uses here for dwell is a Greek word which means to settle down in, like to settle, settle down. Or uh, in my research this week, I found this biblical Greek scholar, 
uh, Dr. Kenneth uh, Woost, he defines this word dwell like this. He says, dwell means to feel at home in. So Paul is desiring for Jesus to settle into the hearts of the Ephesian church and really make his home there. So think about it like this. When my wife Jess and I bought our house a few years ago, it had pink walls in the hallway. It had jalapeno pepper wallpaper in the kitchen. Uh, it had purple. So if you go into the dining room, there is purple on like the top two-thirds of the wall. And then under this knee rail, everything else was gold <laughs> underneath, which is totally fine. You know, the, the previous owner, they might have liked that, but it wasn't necessarily our style. Um, in the bathroom, the tiles were cracked, and there was cat hair like everywhere. In the carpet, we were washing off the walls. It was in the ductwork. Uh, so it was an interesting, interesting house. We bought the house, we moved in, but it didn't quite feel like home yet. There was a lot of work that needed to be done to make it how we wanted it. So, you know, we knocked out a wall between our kitchen and our dining room to open that up. Uh, Jess picked out some great neutral paint colors. <laughs> uh, we had knob and tube wiring that had to go that I had a great friend named Steve to help me out with that. We redid our kitchen, and James and Emily were a huge part of that because they know how to make a space so comfortable and make it feel so much like home. We ripped up floors. We did many other things, and we made it our own, and we made it our home. Like it went from just a house that we lived in to a home. Now think of this in terms of Jesus. Through our faith and trust in Jesus, his, his life, death, and resurrection, his spirit comes to live into our lives. But he's there for a purpose. He's there to do something. He is there to transform us. And let's just be honest. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus has a lot of work to do when he gets in there. Right? This is the honest truth. So he starts knocking down walls, tearing up the floor, changing the paint, rewiring the electrical in our hearts to make it his home. I found this quote from theologian uh, D.A. Carson. Some of you may have heard of him before. But in reference to what Paul is talking about, he says this, When Christ, by his Spirit, takes up residence within us, he finds the moral equivalent to trash, black and silver wallpaper, and a leaking roof. When Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in bad repair. It takes a great deal of power to change us, and that is why Paul prays for power. What we have to understand is that Jesus wants to make his home inside of our lives, and he does this by setting us free from sinful patterns that have plagued us over and over again, by renewing our minds, by transforming our thoughts by cleaning out the selfishness that has been there since the very beginning, by getting rid of the clutter, the fears, and the worries, so that we will be a lot more like him on the inside, so that we will also live in love like him on the outside. It's like when Jesus enters into our lives, we become his fixer-upper, right? I wanted to say that so much, and no one, no one liked it either service. We're his fixer-upper. He sits to work <laughs> making us into the beautiful image of who God created us to be from the inside out. And so let me ask you this question. What area of your life needs some demo from Jesus right now? You know, what needs some repair? What area of your heart needs some remodeling? Whatever it is, we cannot do it alone. It requires God's power in our inner being, which is what Paul just wrote. So what does that mean? 
Well, basically in Scripture, there's kind of like this idea of the outer being, which is our physical being, our body, you know, what is the tangible aspects of who we are. And the inner being is the spiritual, non-material parts that make up who we are. So essentially, what Paul is praying is that there would be this incredible increase of power from the Holy Spirit in the place within us that God is working so that we could overcome all the aspects of our flesh that stand in opposition to what he wants to do in us. It's a very long explanation, but let me, let me go back to the analogy of Jesus moving in. Praying for strength from the Spirit is sort of like Paul praying for an increase of machinery and power tools on demo day for Jesus, right? So that there'd be much less of our sinful flesh and much more of Jesus shining through in our lives. So that's the first thing. Paul prays that Christ would dwell in our hearts. The second thing he prays is that we'd have the ability to know Christ's love. If you go back to verse 17, second half, he says that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. So he first starts off saying, rooted and grounded in love. Through my research this week, I came across this quote from John, John Stott. He's a well-known English theologian. But he explained it this way. He says, love is to be the soil in which their lives are rooted. Love is to be the foundation on which their lives, their life is built. And that just made me think about, you know, getting into the soil of Jesus' love and living there. And, you know, in Nebraska, it's planting season, or planting season just ended. And as I've been here, I've learned about, you know, how some things grow, especially trying to grow grass in my backyard, which is really tough. What I've learned is that for things to grow, they need to have the right soil. And as Christians, if we are to grow, we need to be firmly planted in Christ's love for us, allowing the roots of our lives to go deep into his love. And so what does that look like? How do we do that? Well, I think there's three ways. One is it's God's Spirit, God's Spirit revealing to us the love of the Father. And he does that often through prayer. Or for me, it's been times of worship when I'm worshiping God that I just feel like he is speaking his love over and into my life. We also learn about God's love from his word. You know, God tells us through his word about his love. But the other thing is, through God's word, we learn about how holy, awesome, powerful, so separate from sin our God is. We learn that he is a God of power. He's a God to be respected, honored, and obeyed. And when we understand that from his word, then the fact that that same God loves us completely and desperately, people that don't deserve it, it makes his love just seem absolutely incredible. So we learn through his word. We also learn through his people that God uses his people to remind us that we have a God who loves us, that he's, we have a God who's paid for all of our sin. And so it's important for us to be here, to gather corporately on Sunday mornings, to worship together, and to surround ourselves with other people who are also seeking Jesus so that we can be reminded of the truth. And so we need to be continually filled with God's love, planted in it. Uh, also through research this week, I, I came across this other um, quote that I liked is from John Whitaker, his Bible teacher that I've just been enjoying lately. But just talking about love in Paul's words, he says, human beings are made to run on love like cars are made to run on gasoline. When love is deficient in our lives, it ruins us. It stunts our growth and our development. And this is so true, but especially true in reference to 
God. We need to be continually filled with his love. We need to understand it more and more, or we're not going to grow up into who Jesus wants us to be. We're not going to mature our faith to the point where we are trusting God more, because the more that we understand his love for us, the more that we trust him, right? And so we're not going to grow. We also won't be very spiritually healthy if we aren't continually being refreshed by the love of God. And we're going to be susceptible to the very real spiritual attack of our enemy. Like You don't have to answer this. But how many people in this room have felt um, like just question God's care for them, God's love for them, you know, throughout their lives? Maybe recently, maybe this past week. Maybe it's those times when you just feel overwhelmed by everything in life. Maybe it's when you feel alone or just like unseen, or when you're just sitting in shame and condemnation. It is so easy for us to question that God loves us, and why is that? Well, we have a couple reasons, but I think one main reason is that we have a very real enemy who does not want us to believe it at all. Satan, if he can get us to believe that God doesn't love us, people will usually go in two patterns. One is the trying harder mode that I feel bad, I feel like God doesn't love me, so I'm going to really try hard and do everything right so that I could earn his love again, which is terrible because we're going to fail at that every time and it's going to lead to more shame and condemnation. The other route some people tend to go are people that I've seen in my own life that's just like, you know what, I can't do this, I don't want to be a part of it, and then they just leave. You know, they, they're not going to church anymore, they're not walking with Christian friends anymore, they're just like, I'm done with this. Either way, Satan wins. And this whole idea of questioning and missing God's love is not just like a 21st century, 20th century problem. In 62 AD, which is when Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, they were struggling. That's why he said, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that they would know your love better and better. And for Paul, this mattered so, so much. He was willing to give his whole life because he understood at the depths of his heart the, lo- the love of God, the undeserved favor of God's love put on display as Jesus died on the cross for completely unworthy sinners like Paul himself and completely unworthy people like you and me. That is this kind of love that we're talking about. And so again, Paul is praying his heart over the church that they would know that they're loved and that they'd be empowered to comprehend the breadth, length, height, and depth of God's love. So look back in your Bibles uh, in verse 18. um, Underline the word comprehend because it's very important to what Paul is getting at here. So in English, when we say, do you comprehend me, kind of the question goes to you like, do you mentally understand what I am saying, you know? And that's where we're at. But Paul is actually going for something much deeper. He wants us to understand God's love at more than um, just a mental level. The Greek word that he uses here for comprehend is actually this word which means to, to lay hold of, this idea of like grabbing. The NIV says grasp. It's like I'm going to hold it. I know that God loves me, and I'm holding on to it, and I'm making it personal for my life. That is what Paul is praying over the church, that it would become personal. Because knowing God personally, that he really does love you and will always, if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, can make all the difference in your life. And I was struck by this thought this past week. I was listening to a guy that I met many years ago. His name's Kurt Vernon. He's like a singer-songwriter. But he was singing on Facebook, and I was struck by the song he sang. He said these, these, these words. He says, I'm the one 
I'm the one you left the 99 behind for. Yes, I'm the one. I'm the one you left the 99 to find. And he just kept singing it over and over and over again. And it just, it just struck me that that's how we have to see ourselves. That's how we have to understand God's love. We can't just understand that, yes, God loves the world. We have to understand that God loves me. We can't just understand that God left the 99 for the one, but that God left the 99 for me. It has to be personal. So is God's love personal for you right now? Do you feel like you're laying hold of it and grasping it? Let me ask you this. Do you know that God's love is wider and further than you could ever run away? Is that how you see it? Do you know that God's love is deeper than your darkest, most shameful sin that you've had in your life that you don't want to tell anybody about? Longer than your life on earth because it will carry you into eternity and will never end. Obviously, the Ephesian church, they needed some help grasping God's love, and so Paul prays for them, but we also need help too. Because it's difficult for us to hold on to the idea that God loves us. And so um, think back to that idea that we're the fixer-upper that Jesus moved into. Have you ever seen those shows where, um, you know, a new couple, they buy this house, they're super excited, then they get into it and they realize, oh man, I did not know what was wrong with this house. Foundation is cracking, the pipes are bursting, the boards aren't even working or holding anything up. It's all falling apart. When I watch those shows, it's, what you can see on these people's faces is, I wish I had not bought this house and I think some of us struggle with God's love because it's almost like we believe that he bought our lives, he moved in, but he really didn't actually know how messed up we are. Some people may think that, or he doesn't really understand like the choices that I was going to make later down the road. Um, but I have to tell you, that's not how God works. Like He knew exactly what he was getting into when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and me. Um, he knew what he was moving into. And then just going back to that whole idea of the house, like he wasn't unaware of the cracks that have developed within us from hard years of how people have hurt us over and over again. Uh, or the emotional walls that many of us choose up to protect ourselves. That wasn't a surprise to him. He wasn't surprised by the messed up wiring that many of us have because of our families and the choices that they have made that have been so damaging to the way that they've done life. Nor was he surprised by the cheap fixes that we've used to cover up cracking foundations or whatever else is broken within us. Here's the cool thing about God's love. God knew it all, saw it all, and he said, I love this place. I love this place. And um, he had vision. You know, I think about James and Emily again. Hello. <laughs> like, I love that. Like, they have this ability to come into a place and just have a vision for what it could be. And in a much grander scale, like, that's also God's love for us. So the crazy thing is, is that in the midst of our sin, right at the lowest spot, Jesus loved us right there. He loved us in the midst of that, came into our lives. He's in our heart. And he's like, I love this place. And I also see what it can become. And I'm excited about that. And he paid a huge price for us, a huge price with his death on the cross. That's the way he sees us. And it's this thought, this understanding that Paul knew because he was a prime example of when he was, you know, destroying the church that God stepped in right there. He wants people to understand this knowledge of God's love and for the church to lay hold of it. So let me just keep going with this idea. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I don't question God's love for me. 
I know that he loves me. I've been a long Christian. Tony, let's move on to something else. But let me just ask you a couple questions. Um, For me, if someone says, do you know that God loves you? I'd say, yes, I do. But do I worry about my future sometimes? Yeah, I do. Which probably means that there are aspects of God's unending eternal love that I am not fully grasping in my heart. So it doesn't matter like where you are, how long you've been walking with Jesus, there's always more of his love to grasp. Maybe, you know, you're, you're struggling with some kind of sin. And have you ever been in that place where you just want to hide it and you, you don't want to go directly to him? Because through his love, we have access immediately to go right up to God and say, God, I confess that I did that. I know you already love me. I don't want to live that way. I love you. I know that your love has not changed. That is so good. But if you ever find yourself just holding on to it and feeling shame and condemned, maybe there's more of his love that you can grasp to know that his forgiveness covers all things and that he's already paid for all of your sin. Again, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with Jesus. There's always more to comprehend of God's incredible love for us. And through his spirit, we can get more and more glimpses of it. All right, let's just finish up Paul's prayer. In verse 20, he, he says this, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul, he ends his prayer, he's, you know, with just this, this acclamation of praise. He starts it bowing before God physically in worship before his Lord. And then he starts with these words that, God, you are sovereign, and I know that you are in control, and I know you can do everything I'm going to ask. Then at the very end of his prayer, he comes back to the fact that, God, you are so powerful. You could do more than I can ever ask or imagine, and I just lay all my requests at your feet. It's important for us to understand that. And he is praising God. God, you are so awesome, so miraculous. I'm blown away by the fact that you are holy, awesome, powerful, incredibly good. And yet you absolutely love me. You love us that are not deserving of that, but we get our value from the fact that the one that created everything absolutely loves us. And he is like, forever and ever may you be praised, forever and ever, amen, which means so be it. It's awesome how he ends this prayer. You guys guys get that? It's cool. It's really cool. Like, he's excited. He's like, God, help them to know your love, make a home in their hearts, and you can do more than I can ever ask or imagine. It's awesome. And so, just in closing, I want to challenge you in three ways. One, every single person in this room, Get on your knees and bow your head before the Lord in prayer this week. I guarantee that it will impact how you pray. It will feel different. You'll feel small. But that's a good thing because we've got to recognize how good and awesome and huge he is. Secondly, say, pray um, Paul's prayer. Just pray, God, would you make your home in my heart? Do whatever you need to do in me. Whatever you know, walls you want to knock down. God, make your home in my heart. And then finally, just pray again Paul's prayer, which is, God, help me to grasp, lay hold of, feel personally in my heart the love that you have for me that transcends all knowledge through your spirit. Help me to grasp and glimpse just the goodness of you so that I know that I am loved. 
Because on this earth, we have the opportunity through the Spirit to just to continually embrace the goodness of God and His love until we see Him face to face. And that is what we have to look forward to as Christians, that one day we are going to see Him face to face. That's the challenge this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, God, it's incredible to think about the fact that you are such a holy, such a perfect God, and yet you chose to demonstrate your love for us that in the midst of our sin, you sent Jesus to die for us. It's amazing to think that um, Jesus lived a perfect life in our perfection uh, so that he could be our perfection. It's amazing to think that he died upon the cross to pay for every single sin that we would ever commit. And it's amazing that he rose from the grand, um, ensuring that we would be with you for all time. So Lord, I just want to praise you, worship you. You're a God who really can do more than we can ever ask or imagine. And so we just bow before you in worship. You're a God and King. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to pray um, the verses that Tony shared this morning. But before I start, I just have to share this really quick. So uh, this morning, as I was getting ready for this moment, um, I realized most of the time when I read um, scripture, I read from my phone or I read from my computer. And so I wanted a physical Bible. And I remembered that upstairs in my office, I have the first Bible that I was ever given when I was in sixth grade in 1992. 29 years ago, this Bible was given to me. It's traveled with me um, through high school into college. And obviously I still have it. So I've taken it with me at every step of my journey. And I think it's super cool to have it today because I got it as a sixth grader when my mind was ready for Jesus. And I've been able to, to give my life to helping kids who are just like me find Jesus. And so I just, it's really cool for me to get to read these verses to you out of a Bible that just perfectly encapsulates what I was able to do. So let's, uh, let's pray together right now. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys. Have a great week. See ya.